You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There will be no physical, emotional, or spiritual infirmities to plague us. There'll be no weaknesses, no temptations, weariness, or sorrow of any kind. Listen, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? No wonder Jesus, notice there in verse 5, tells us, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This life can be so hard. Sin has wreaked havoc in our world. We see it on a global and national scale, and we experience it on a very deep, personal level as well. From the pain and sorrow of loss to the shame and frustration of our sin and weakness, this life leaves much to be desired. As Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, this is not what God wants for us. He has so much more, both in this life and the next. When we trust in Him, we can find joy in the hope He gives us for eternity. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 21 as he begins his message, God's New Age. Okay, let's begin chapter 21 by reading the first four verses of Scripture, and then I'll comment on each one of them. Okay, so, And I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. Okay, so it's at this point now in our studies that we pass through time into eternity. We're no longer confined by any time constrictions. It's all the eternal now. It's from this point on in our studies that we move into eternity. Now notice what it says there. It says, I saw, that is John, a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us that God created the heavens and uh, the earth. That word created is very interesting in the Hebrew back there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It's literally the Hebrew word bara which uh, suggests that God has the capacity and the ability to make something out of nothing. And only God has that capacity and ability, right? I mean, you you think about, like, for example, if I can use this as an illustration, a carpenter. You know, he'll take uh, a piece of lumber, a piece of wood, he'll mold it, he'll shape it, he'll cut it, he'll paint it, stain it, or whatever, uh, hammer it together with other pieces of wood to make an article of furniture. But But he has the materials to work with. But that's, that's not necessary with God. 
God creates. He has the ability to create something out of nothing. And that's exactly what he did. And that is what is suggested there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 where we read, and God created the heavens and the earth. Bara created something from nothing. So for him, it's nothing to create a whole new heaven and earth. But this new heaven and new earth is quite different from the first one that he created. The first feature, notice what we are told here, and there was no more sea. So what's up with that? Well, I want you to think about this. Three quarters of the earth's surface is now covered by water, the oceans and the seas. And the purpose is to neutralize pollutants. You know, God, when he created the first heaven and the earth, it was, it was perfect. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful, delicate uh, balance of uh, nature. And so the waters, the oceans and the seas, uh, God uh, purposed to neutralize the pollutants. But in this new earth that God has created, that we are, that is being referred to here in verse 1, where there is no pollutants, the bodies of water are not necessary. Now, uh, so I hope that is uh, encouraging and helps you to think about what a wonderful future we have ahead of us. But those of us who are surfers, and uh, I, I, I'm thinking about my, my son-in-law, uh, Corey, who is, is like a crazy surfer, and uh, every chance that he gets, he goes surfing. And uh, in fact, he travels every year to Bali uh, to go uh, surfing with a bunch of his uh, friends. There's no longer going to be any seas. There's no longer going to be any oceans. So I don't know exactly what he's going to do. Uh, I believe he's watching from Toronto. They live at my, my daughter, Jessie, and her husband, Corey, live in Toronto. And I was speaking with them this morning, and I encouraged them to watch online. So uh, I don't want to bum you out, Corey. But, uh, but anyway, there's not going to be any seas. There's not going to be any oceans. So you're going to have to figure. But you know what? You, you know that comic book, The Silver Surfer? Have you ever, have you ever seen that comic book? And uh, he surfs on a surfboard. But he doesn't surf on the water. He just surfs through the universe on a surfboard. Well, Corey, at least you can look uh, towards that. And uh, I hope that'll be a blessing to you. Well, anyway, and then we read also there in verse 2. And I, John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and we're going to talk a lot about this new city of Jerusalem uh, this morning, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Cross-reference for you. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25 in verse uh, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, this would be you and me, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. So this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven is a part of this new kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And listen, gang, it's going to be all yours to enjoy. And then in verse 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their uh, God. Now, I just want you to think about that. Uh, all rebellion will be put uh, out once and for all. God will be reigning in sovereignty at this time. And then in verse 4, we are told, 
and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You know, think about this. We will actually, during this time, lose the ability to recall all unpleasant events that have taken place over our life's experience. So all of our phobias, all of our neuroses will be gone. And uh, we won't have any need for uh, psychiatric medicine any longer, right? And uh, so what a day that's going to be. What a bright future we have to look forward to. Okay, and so the dawning of a beautiful new day, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, gang, this is God's grand climax. It's the culmination of all of the great plans of a loving God. Everything bad that was connected to the old earth will be gone forever. And all of the beauty that we found on this earth, like, for example, in nature, will be magnified many times over. And pain, according to our text, death, evil, doesn't even exist anymore. We can't even imagine what that's going to be like, right? There will be no physical, emotional, or spiritual infirmities to plague us. There'll be no weaknesses, no temptations, weariness, or sorrow of any kind. Listen, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? No wonder Jesus, notice there in verse 5, tells us, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So this new environment that God will create will be conducive to that new life in Christ. So, as I mentioned, it sounds too good to be true. And exactly, that's the reason why Jesus there in verse 5 encourages us to trust him. In other words, basically he's saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but I guarantee you that every word is true. So gang, it is now all of the eternal now. Now, also I want you to notice there in both verses 3 and 5, notice the mention, God tells us there that God will dwell with us. God will be with them. Uh, verse 5, he will be sitting upon the throne. So that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is living in the presence of God. So if you're taking notes, write that down. That's our second point, living in the presence of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt the presence of God very strongly? Like, for example, maybe uh, you know in your prayer closet, maybe in your bedroom, lying on your bed, and you were praying unto the Lord. Maybe something was going on in your life, and you, you, know, you brought it to the, the throne, uh, the throne of grace, so that uh, God would have the opportunity to be able to address that particular need. And, it, and God does respond, and you know that he's responding. And uh, you can just feel his presence in a very real uh, and tangible kind of a, a, a way. Or maybe even in a church service like this one this morning, where God is speaking to you through the scriptures. And uh, you know that he's put his hand on your or life or that, uh, that issue that needs to be addressed. And, you, and in those kinds of experiences, our heart kind of just beats a little bit uh, faster. 
We kind of get lightheaded, weak in the knees because of that joy and the happiness to realize that we are a child of God. God loves us, and God is concerned about all of the things that is going on within our lives. So think about it. Think about what it's going to be like when we live in God's presence all of the time. Amazingly, but that's exactly what we're told here in the scriptures. Then notice also there in verse 6, and I said unto, uh, and he said unto me, that is to John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, does this sound familiar to any of you? It reminds me of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, woman at Jacob's well. And it's recorded for us in John's Gospel, if you want to turn there with me, in John's Gospel in chapter 4, in verses 7 through uh, 10. And by the way, this is a divine setup. And uh, it, it, the, the text, the chapter, suggests that uh, Jesus had this appointment with this woman. And thus he sent his disciples into the city uh, to get some food uh, that they may eat. And so Jesus is alone now there at Jacob's well, and he is, has this encounter with the Samaritan uh, woman. So picking up now in John 4 and verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? You see, the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with one another, if if at all uh, possible. And uh, they would avoid each other uh, if they uh, could. So this woman is actually kind of taken back by the fact that Jesus is asking uh, this woman to draw water uh, from the well so that he could uh, drink. And we are told there, in fact, in verse 9, for the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living waters. And then jump down to verses 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, so he uses this as an analogy, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. So Christ, our living water, that quenches the soul's longing and searching for truth, that fulfillment and satisfaction that can only be found in and through him. Now, Jesus gives the water of the Spirit to us today. But in the new city of Jerusalem, we will be able to drink of it in a new, much stronger way. You see, in that day, there will be complete satisfaction. You'll be wanting for nothing. There'll be continual joy and fulfillment. Gang, there's not going to be any ups and downs. 
And you know what I'm talking about. Even in our Christian experience, even though we're, ch- we're, we're children of, of God, we still experience difficulties and struggles in, in our life's experience. But in that day, folks, there's not going to be any ups, there's not going to be any downs, there's not going to be any highs, there's not going to be any lows. Let's go back to Revelation now in chapter of 21 and verse 7. And then we are told, And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, when I want to emphasize that word overcometh. Listen, there's only one way uh, that we can be an overcomer. In 1 John, in chapter uh, 5, in verses 4 and 5, and this is the only way that any of us can be overcomers, there we are told, 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5, For whosoever is born of God, and this is the way that we overcome, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of uh, God. And so God is calling on us here to come, to inherit that kingdom that he has prepared for us. It's all ours to enjoy. We're given a new body in which we can roam the universe and explore the vastness of God's glorious creation. And so anyway, our second point, living in the presence of God. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 8, we have a list of those who won't be allowed to be a part of God's kingdom. That is, those who aren't overcomers, those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who aren't born again of the Spirit of God. And that brings us to our third point this morning, and that is excluded from God's uh, kingdom. Okay, so let's read that list, verse 8, and then I'll break it down for you. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And by the way, it's by this time where the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, those who stood before the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ, remember last time that was depicted for us in chapter 21? They've already been cast into that lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone, which is also referred to as the second death. Okay, so who are these people who will be cast into the fire? Who are these people who will be excluded from God's kingdom? Well, let's break down this list for you. First of all, notice we are told there in verse 8, the fearful. Okay, so who are the fearful? Well, these are the cowards who would not confess Christ for fear of the reproach of men, which is, which is connected with the next uh, category, which is the unbelieving. And that is those who will not trust God and his word, who declare his truth is not worthy of their confidence. Notice next in this list, the abominable or the polluted, that is those who have allowed themselves to become stained and contaminated with the filthy evils of this world. And I would remind you, both the Old and New Testament alike, we are commanded by God to come out from among them and be ye separate. Listen, we we worship and serve 
and fellowship and have communion with the holy God. And God expects his people to be holy as well. Then notice also the next group are murderers. And folks, that means exactly that. Now, ever since Cain murdered his brother Abel, the book of Genesis, there has been a growing disregard for human life. Men kill without the faintest flicker or fear of conscience. And so murderers won't be allowed to enter into that uh, kingdom. And then next is the whoremongers. Oh boy, the whoremongers. We definitely don't want to fall into that category. Well, these are fornicators uh, who regard lightly the rune of virtue. And I think of the days in which we live today where sexual promiscuity is so widely sanctioned. So those are the whoremongers, those who participate in sexual uh, fornication of any kind. And then the next group is sorcerers. Now, that word sorcerers is literally translated from the Greek word pharmakia, which is a reference to those who use drugs. So those who use drugs, drug users, will also not be able to enter into God's kingdom. But then notice also idolaters. And that would, of course, include those who worship idols and false uh, gods. And then the last in that category is liars. And so the text here condemns all who make a lie, who speak and act out a lie. Okay, so go back to verse 8. What a sharp contrast. Think about this. Those are the individuals who will not be allowed to enter into God's kingdom, who will be thrown into the lake of fire, brimming uh, with fire and a brimstone. Uh, think about the sharp contrast in relationship to New Jerusalem. And so God just puts it all out there. It's like really, a, it's sort of like a picture in a contrast for all of us to see. God is reminding us it's a choice that we have to make. How ridiculous to choose to rebel against God. Dare we gamble when the stakes are so high? So something to, to think about. Well, let's go on. And that now brings us to our next point this morning, our fourth and final point, and that is New Jerusalem. So if you're taking notes, write this down, New Jerusalem. And so now we'll get into an exposition of verses 9 through 27, the remainder of this uh, chapter. And so in verse 9 we read, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials. Remember, we were introduced to this group of angels who poured out the vials of judgment uh, during the seven years of uh, tribulation. And with the pouring out of each vial, there was a corresponding cataclysmic judgment that took place upon the face of the uh, earth. So that's the reference, the seven uh, angels with the uh, seven vials. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension, yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world, a time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. 
It's a time that may be sooner than you think, and that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener. And we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for